I'm your host, Anna Danino, and welcome to episode 21 of the Crime Bistro Podcast. This show gazes into the thrillingly twisted world of true crime, examining real cases while we share in a passion for crime and coffee alike. For this episode, I'm enjoying an iced vanilla bean latte, so grab yourself a fresh brew, and let's get into the suspicious death of Jessica Easterly. On August 12th of 2019 begins the story of Jessica Easterly as she is known to the media, the day that she called her best friend Maria in desperate need of a ride to get away from her husband, Justin Durning. Maria arranged to go and pick up her friend the next morning, August 13th, but after having a brief correspondence with Jessica that day, neither Maria nor anyone else heard from the beautiful 43-year-old again. Jessica's body was discovered a short time later, heartbreakingly, by her own sister, Audrey. However, her case is, to this day, far from closed. Police mishandlings and blatant disregard of Jessica's death and her family's desperate fight for justice has led to no suspect yet being named, though many believe they know that her husband harmed Jessica on that day. Her family has been incredibly strong and they have not given up on their fight for justice for Jessica, which is why it is so essential that her story continue to be told. Jessica Easterly was born on August 17th of 1976 to Donna and Loy Easterly. She spent most of her childhood years in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. She had two older sisters, Amanda and Audrey, and growing up she was described as having a mood-lifting effect on all the people around her, a person who was just always full of life, extremely funny, with a great imagination. When she was younger, she actually also had an infant brother named Clay, after her grandfather, but he unfortunately passed away when he was only an hour old. Her parents separated when she was pretty young, and her mom remarried to a man named Rick Schmidt, whom Jessica got along with well. Her and her sisters, along with their cousins, were extremely close growing up, and they spent a lot of time together at their grandparents' house. Jessica was very into dancing and the performing arts, and loved to play outdoors and spend time with her dogs. She was extremely well-loved by her family, and she brought a smile to everyone's face. Everyone in the family was supportive of each other, and she also had a lot of friends. After graduating from high school, Jessica attended the University of South Alabama, graduating with a degree in audiology and speech pathology. Always up for an adventure, she went on a boat with her friends one day, where she met Justin Durning Jr. For Jessica, the relationship was love at first sight, and the two connected the first time they met. She actually moved to New Orleans to be with him in 2002, and they got married in 2015. Though she had moved away, she was constantly in contact with friends and family, and especially with her sisters and her best friend Maria Creel. The two were extremely close, and they had been friends for over 20 years. Her and her sister Audrey, who lived in Biloxi, Mississippi, were especially close, spending hours on the phone together talking and watching reality TV. When their schedules got too busy, they would just swap long Facebook messages back and forth. And Audrey has said, quote, We could talk for hours about anything. She was so happy-go-lucky. Like, if you were feeling down, you could talk to her and she would pick you up, end quote. At the time that Jessica initially went missing, she and Justin were living on General Haig Street in New Orleans, Louisiana. From the outset, her family did have some reservations about Justin, he was never really close with her family at all, and Maria especially thought that he was trying just a little bit too hard to be personable. However, in the beginning of their marriage, it seemed that Jessica and Justin were very happy together. Justin actually had a daughter named Gracie, and her and Jessica were very close, and she really loved being a stepmother. 
They started to experience turmoil, however, and Jessica was able to mask this in front of most people, but Maria was aware of what was happening behind closed doors. Jessica started to describe Justin as controlling, quick to anger over trivial things, and as mentally and physically abusive. Maria has described there being, quote, chaos and fighting, end quote, if Jessica was doing something that Justin didn't like. Audrey, Jessica's sister, sensed that something was wrong, and she made it clear that she didn't like Justin. So clear, in fact, that Justin started controlling the relationship between the siblings. Jessica was only able to talk to her sister when he was present, and only with the phone on speaker. There are some messages that Jessica sent regarding her marriage that really show what kind of a person Justin was and what kind of a situation she was in. In one message, Maria was going to be in the area for her daughter's cheerleading competition, so she had said that maybe they could stay with Jessica and Justin, which they both did agree to. Apparently, however, Justin freaked out before they were supposed to arrive, and Jessica's message to her friend read, quote, Hey, I need to talk to you about this weekend. I'm hiding in the bathroom right now so Justin doesn't hear me. We've been fighting, like fighting, for the past three days about everything. He's threatening to kick me out, put me in jail, he's hit me, it's bad. He told me you guys can't come or it's gonna be worse for me. Lo, I'm so sorry. I know it's last minute and I feel awful. I don't know what to do. I can recommend somewhere that's reasonable and nice, the Beyond Canal. We stay there a lot, we're used to. Low, I'm scared, end quote. Just from this message, you can tell that Jessica was very scared in her own home, and it seemed that she knew it was possible that something could happen to her. Around the time that the events leading up to her disappearance started, Jessica's friends and family believed that she was getting ready to leave her husband, Justin. She was tired of the way that he treated her, and she wanted to start over. This would have been a very difficult decision for Jessica to make, considering that victims of domestic violence are often terrified of any harm that could come to them if they try to leave that situation, and especially considering she was afraid that she was never going to see her stepdaughter Gracie again if she left. On August 12th of 2019, Jessica called her friend Maria three times. When the two finally connected on the phone, she sounded frantic and fearful, and she asked Maria to come and get her, saying she would tell her everything when she got there. Since Maria lived two states and two hours away, and because she was afraid of bringing her kids into a potentially dangerous situation, she wasn't able to get Jessica on that day, but they instead planned for Maria to come the next day, August 13th, after Maria had dropped her kids off at school. However, once August 13th arrived, Maria called Jessica while she was at the doctor's office with Gracie, and Jessica told her not to come yet. She said that she was going to go home and see how everything was and then call her back. Jessica's last text to Maria was, quote, Okay, just hang on. I don't know what's going to happen when I get home, end quote. She didn't hear from her for the rest of that entire day or night, despite her efforts to contact Jessica, but she did think that maybe Justin was withholding her phone from her or something along those lines and that she was still okay. On August 14th, Justin messaged Maria through Jessica's Facebook account at about 9pm, telling her that Jessica was missing and that she had left her phone, keys, car, and ID at home. The initial message said, quote, Is Jess with you? Grace and I are worried. End quote. Maria has said, quote, When I read that message, my whole body went cold. I knew right then something terrible had happened. End quote. 
When Maria asked Justin to file a missing persons report, he lied to her, saying he'd already contacted an officer and that they had told him to wait 24 hours, which is not true, you never have to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report, and Maria even called the police to confirm this. Maria called the New Orleans Police Department to do a welfare check at Jessica's home. During the welfare check, he hardly talked about her and was acting very nervous. The police were initially very suspicious after this encounter, noting that, quote, he was just explaining himself to death, end quote, and he had said, quote, I'm sorry if I seem sketchy, end quote. The official missing persons report for Jessica was filed on August 15th, largely because of Maria's insistence. Justin still seemed mostly unbothered by his wife's disappearance. Jessica's 43rd birthday came and went on August 17th with still no sign of her, which was devastating for her friends and family. On August 22nd of 2019, Jessica's sisters Amanda and Audrey, along with their cousin Doug, went to New Orleans to talk to detectives and to start looking themselves because they didn't feel that either Justin or the police were doing enough at that point. They looked around Jessica's Lakeview neighborhood to scout out places to organize a future search party. Devastatingly, however, while looking around the streets of Kenilworth and Orleans with the windows down, they started to smell something awful, which Doug immediately recognized as decomposition. Following the smell, they found Jessica's body only two and a half blocks from her home, almost as if police weren't ever really looking for her. Her body was in front of some trees, largely in the open, which makes it extremely odd that the police were not the ones to recover it. Some of the neighbors have said that they didn't see any police presence in the area, so it's highly likely that they didn't even search. She was found wearing a black tank top, black shorts, and black shoes, and they called the police immediately, and the coroner was dispatched to the location along with 15 to 20 police officers. During the week after the body was found, Justin was questioned by police and reportedly kept changing his story. There isn't a lot of information about what he said, but apparently it was his timeline for when she had left the house that changed several times. On September 1st of 2019, Alabama police took a swab of Jessica's mother's Mrs. Schmidt's DNA to send to the New Orleans police. The New Orleans Police Department said that they could not begin an investigation until DNA had confirmed Jessica's identity. This was despite the fact that her family had identified her at the scene. Note that there was some decomposition due to the heat of New Orleans, especially in August, so this isn't completely unfounded, but still frustrating. It wasn't until September 2nd of 2019 that Justin finally called Jessica's parents for the first time since she went missing, and to this day, he has not contacted any of her sisters. The content of this call is unknown, but Jessica's family definitely had their suspicions at the time. Fast forward over a month to October of 2019, it was discovered that when New Orleans Police Department received Mrs. Schmidt's DNA, it was placed on a desk without being sent to the lab. Frustratingly, the only reason given for this was, quote, no one knew where it went, end quote. This delayed the confirmation of Jessica's identity and further delayed the investigation since they had to get another sample. Finally, on November 8th, after more than two months, official confirmation was received that the body, in fact, belonged to Jessica. In December, Justin created two GoFundMe accounts asking for help to pay for Jessica's funeral. 
One was under Jessica's legal name, Jessica Durning, and the other was under a name used for their adult contact, which was Vivian. Justin and Jessica were in the adult entertainment industry, Jessica under the name Vivian and Justin under the name Lance Anderson. It does seem like her family didn't know about this, which doesn't really matter, but Maria knew about it, not in any real great detail. This adds another element to the relationship because Jessica may have been afraid of losing some form of livelihood if she left Justin. Additionally, he had convinced her that he had a VPN that blocked her content in certain states, so where her family was from, so that no one would know. Justin continued to post this content from the two of them, even after her body had been found, which is completely disturbing. He even went so far as to say on Vivian's GoFundMe account, quote, If you donate, you will receive exclusive pics, videos, lingerie, and even shoes, end quote. Luckily, this page only made about $140 before it was closed. On January 15th of 2020, the coroner lists the cause and manner of Jessica's death as undetermined, which it remains to this day, and her body was set to be released to Justin. On January 24th, Jessica's stepfather, Rick Schmidt, and her sister, Audrey, went to New Orleans to meet with detectives, where they were told that the case was now considered cold and the investigation was stalled. This is extremely odd because generally cases are not considered cold so soon into an investigation. It's actually more common for it to be years before they are considered as such. Later on that same day, Justin was detained for a 24-hour observation after he approached a woman in a bar who was also named Jessica and he gave her a note. This woman described him as acting crazy, said that he said his wife's name was also Jessica and that she had committed suicide. She also said that he insisted that she take all of Jessica's clothes. This woman and a co-worker actually called the police after they recognized Justin from Jessica's case. On January 31st of 2020, the coroner's autopsy report was released, showing that Jessica had suffered a fractured nose, a linear fracture in her jaw, a broken rib, and a broken C4 vertebra in her neck. Notably, an injury to the cervical spine is the most severe type of spinal injury, but the pathologist did not address how she might have been injured. Police have said that her broken rib may have been sustained while they were moving her body, but there is no way to confirm this. Even with the release of this report, a cause of death has not been determined, and the Orleans Parish Coroner's Office released a statement saying, quote, Advanced stages of decomposition can make determination of cause and manner of death difficult as it did in this case. Due to this decomposition, toxicology testing was limited to liver tissue, which did test positive for methamphetamine and bupropion. However, it is unclear these results reflect recent intake and a drug-related death cannot be ruled out, end quote. Jessica did suffer from fibromyalgia, so there has been some speculation about what drugs she may have been taking at the time since she was prescribed medication for it, but there is no way to know how recently she had taken any drugs, how they may have been impacting her on that day, even if they were at all. The office has also stated that since the case remains open, if new relevant information comes to light, the cause and manner of death can be reevaluated. On March 15th, a couple in the Lakeview neighborhood contacted Jessica's sister, Audrey, 
and told her that they had found Jessica's ID card and a blanket only 15 yards from where Jessica's body had been found and seven months later, something that should have been really difficult for police to miss. Audrey immediately called a detective to relay the information, and he said that he wanted to talk to the couple about where they had found the items. Sadly, on April 7th, Audrey decided to reach out and follow up with that couple, and they told her that no one had contacted them and that there had been no police presence where they had found the ID and blanket. After all of the mishandlings, on April 14th, Audrey filed a formal complaint with the Public Integrity Bureau for, quote, failing to properly investigate the death of Jessica Easterly Durning, end quote. She didn't hear back about this complaint for four months. However, on August 6th, she talked to someone named E. Creighton, who informed her that an investigation was being conducted for, quote, not properly investigating, end quote. This did seem to be somewhat effective, as on September 1st, the couple who had found Jessica's ID and blanket texted Audrey to let her know that a Detective Lunn had finally reached out about those items after 170 days after the initial report. On October 20th, crime scene investigators were called to Jessica's house, where they took samples of a futon and headboard that were thrown into the trash in front of the house, items that had been in Jessica's room that were just left for donation pickup. These results were not finalized until June of 2021, where it was announced that nothing was found on the futon or on the headboard. Perhaps one of the saddest things to note about this case is that it wasn't until February 2nd of 2021, after spending 530 days in the morgue, that Jessica's body was finally released to her family after a lack of contact from Justin. Due to COVID, the family had a small gathering and planned on hosting a celebration of life for Jessica when it was safe to do so. Justin had no interest in this event, and even worse, he had made no effort to try and stay in contact with her parents or family. The only time he had contacted them was that initial contact in September of 2019. A funeral was at last able to be held for Jessica on August 21st at St. Margaret of Scotland. Jessica's family is, as are many others, extremely suspicious of Justin's role in her death. Her mother has been quoted saying, quote, I do not believe and I will never believe my daughter died at this scene. My daughter was dumped, end quote. His disinterest does more than border on alarming, and in every article I've seen written about Jessica's death, the last line states something along the lines of, we have reached out to Justin Durning but have not heard back. I do want to mention that though all of this is complete speculation, and there is no physical evidence that we know of against Justin, he had been arrested before for unrelated charges, including assault, unlawful possession of a firearm, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, a probation violation, and also domestic violence. A couple more things to note about the police investigation. Justin's father was also living in the home with Jessica and Justin at the time of her death, and he was never questioned by police. In addition to this, the house and her vehicle were never searched. On August 25th, District Attorney Jason Williams held a press conference at the corner of Kenilworth and Orleans, which was a huge milestone in this case, since it was the first time that Jessica's case was called a homicide. 
Williams is well aware that Jessica's family has been critical of the investigation. However, he has said that no one could be satisfied with the case as long as it remains unsolved, which is almost a valid point, but it completely disregards the family's suffering and the mishaps that have affected this investigation. Of course, there are some other theories besides Justin killing his wife in a domestic violence dispute. It is possible that Jessica was being stalked. She did have some fans online, so it's always possible that someone had become obsessed with her. There is always the suicide theory which Justin has been pushing, and he did tell it to the woman at the bar. And in all cases, there is the possibility of a random attack, but in the case of all of these theories, it just seems like the prevailing one is just more likely. As of January 25th of 2022, it has been five months since the DA Jason Williams held his press conference, and to date there have been no arrests, and Justin has never been named as a suspect. In May of 2021, Audrey started an online petition to the New Orleans District Attorney Jason Williams to investigate the death of Jessica Easterly. She was contacted for a meeting with him which has taken place However, she was unable to comment on the contents of that meeting. This petition is available to be signed on the Contact Us page for the Justice for Jessica website, which will be linked in the show notes for this episode. The family also encourages anyone who can to call DA Jason Williams and ask him where is the Justice for Jessica Easterly. The number for this is 504-822-2414. Anyone with information is urged to contact the 3rd District at 504-658-6030 or call Crime Stoppers to leave an anonymous tip at 504-822-1111. A case such as this is so beyond frustrating to research and to tell because there are just so many places where it can clearly be said that Jessica deserved better. Police should have looked for her. They should have looked for her belongings, searched her home and car, and they should have considered foul play from the very outset. Obviously, everyone is innocent until they are proven guilty, but that doesn't mean I don't believe that there is an abundance of evidence that should tell police to take another look at Justin Durning. Jessica confided in her best friend that she was scared in her own home, and for something such as that to be essentially ignored in an investigation is horrible. Her family deserves all of the support in their fight for justice that we have to offer, and though they at least were able to finally give Jessica a proper memorial, this case is far from closed. Jessica deserves for her family and friends to know what really happened to her, and since this is an ongoing investigation, we can all hope that there will be some concrete answers in the near future. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Crime Bistro Podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about the suspicious death of Jessica Easterly, all of the sources are listed in the show notes at crimebistro.com. If you have a theory or a comment of your own to share, feel free to head over and visit the podcast on YouTube or on Instagram at crimebistropodcast to leave a comment and to see some behind-the-scenes updates on the episodes to come. With that, this story is coming to a close, so thanks again, and as always, until next time.